this is really the most requested topic for me to share on throughout the year. It's really relationships. Uh, I think it's because uh, relationships for us, no matter how good they are, how many know they could always get better? Uh, and, and so we recognize that. And uh, for each and every one of us, it's, it's God, I want to have a better relationship. Uh, whether, you know, you're dating and you want to be the right person, the right time, doing the right things, or you're married, or maybe you're not. Maybe you're just getting yourself ready. You've got to prepare now if you're single for when you get married. Come on, somebody. It doesn't just happen. Well, I got married. Now, all of a sudden, I'm ready. I mean, it takes time. You've got to prepare. You've got to work on it. Uh, and what I've realized is that everybody has relationship problems. Uh, even the best of relationships, the best of marriages, I mean, oh, they're going to have good times and you're going to have bad times. That's because we're people. Life goes in a cycle, relationships, and, you know, you have ups and downs, good and bad. But the thing that we've got to do is we've got to make sure that we're preparing and working on the relationship that God has given to us. Uh, and so it's interesting because you're preparing now as a single person. And let me just tell you, if you're single uh, and you're not preparing, then you're preparing to fail or at least struggle in an extreme way when you get married. Because what you don't prepare for now, how I many know you gotta, you got to learn it later? You learn it now or you learn it later. Uh, there is no shortcut to relationships. You can't bypass the process. And so we want to help make sure that our relationships are God-centered and that we are focused on doing it the way God's called us to do it. Now, with all relationships, we got to have a vision for what we want. Uh, we saw this last week. Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. And, and really what that means is they cast off restraint. So if I don't have a vision, that means I'll do whatever. There is no plan. There is no path. Just whatever feels good, whatever feels right, we're going to do it. There's just there's no planned path that I'm to take or to walk down. And so, look, single people, you got to have a vision for what you want your marriage to look like. And it's not just single people, married people. Come on, somebody. you got to have a vision for what your marriage is supposed to look like. What do you want it to look like? How many know you need to think about what do we want to look like 20 years from now, 30 years from now? Some of you, it's 10 years from now or five years from now. you got to create the vision and the plan that you want to see so that you can be it in that relationship. Healthy marriages don't just happen by accident. And what I've learned is, look, I'm not looking for a perfect marriage. I, I, maybe someone has a perfect marriage out there. And if that's you, it's amazing. That's awesome. You're probably lying. Come on, somebody. Like, just, just get out of the honeymoon phase, and then we'll ask you after the honeymoon phase how your marriage really is. I mean, nobody's got a perfect marriage, but I think the truth is I can strive for a healthy marriage. Like, I just, I want a healthy marriage. I want one where God is glorified, and that though there are some things that are wrong, we're working to fix this marriage and to make sure that it glorifies God in the way he designed for it to do it. Uh, most people, what I've learned is they're not ready for marriage, and they don't even know it. I mean, think about when you got married. Do you feel like you were really ready for marriage? I mean, most of us weren't. Uh, I've officiated a lot of weddings, 
Um, and during this ceremony, it's interesting because as the, the, the pastor or the priest or whoever's officiating, you're asking these two people to make a commitment. I mean, here's something that I say basically in the marriage ceremony. Do you promise, and it probably sounds familiar to you, to love and to cherish her? To honor her, to stand by her, to respect her at all times, not just when you're happy with her. Come on, somebody say, at all times. They ought, they ought to put this something that you say every day. Like, look, baby, you remember you promised that pastor <laughs> to put God's will and her will before your own. Mm, mm, mm. I know that every one of you are doing this on a daily basis. To be true to her in all things until death alone should you part. And then here's the question we ask, so do you promise? And, and here's what I love. They all say I do. Nobody ever says that's crazy. There's no way I can do all of that. No, I don't do it. I'm not going to. I mean, and, and so the, the interesting thing is through tears in their eyes, Many of you yourselves, you've made those promises. Oh, I do. Why do we do it? Because we feel the emotion of love. It's the emotion of the moment. And the challenge is love does have a feeling and there are some emotions with it. I mean, think about it. Like when you were dating and you first got married, you had your song. Anybody got your song? That's like, that's our song. That's the song we dance to. Come on. I mean, how I, I many know? It's like, that's our movie. Like, like, oh, he loves dogs and I love dogs. It's fate. He's got blue eyes and my favorite color is blue. Look, God, you really do love me. I mean, you know, and, and then we say things like, look, no matter what, you could never do anything that would cause me to love you less. Okay. How many know there's some things that your spouse can do that will make you extremely frustrated? To make you think, I don't even know if I like you, much less love you. And so, I, I mean, we say these things because there's an emotion of love. And I think what, what people get confused with is they say, if I've got love, that's all that I need. Well, if that was true, then the divorce rate wouldn't be 51%. If that was true, we wouldn't see marriages in the condition of what they're in right now. The truth is, we've got to learn to respect and honor and cherish for richer and for poorer. Uh, that's what we have a problem with. We didn't realize it was going to take all that. I mean, think about when you first got married. You know, six months down the road, you said, I'd love you for richer or poorer, but you didn't really actually think you'd get poorer. You didn't realize they had $50,000 in debt and a credit score of 10. Like, you didn't do a credit check before you got married. It's like, whoa, like, like we're, we're really poor. Like, we're really broke. Oh, I thought you liked Raymond noodles. <laughs> right? I mean, and, and that's where you got to know that love's a command. It's not an emotion. It's a command. It's like you're commanded to love. And uh, you can command love, but you can't command an emotion. I mean, think about in, I don't know what just happened there, but think about, so we're going to fix it. So think about in your emotions, you can't command sadness, you can fake sadness, you can, you know, try to act sad, but you can't command it. It doesn't just happen on command. The same thing with love, you can't just command love, I mean, you can't just fake an emotion of love, but you can command it. The Bible commands us to, look, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are commands, like love your neighbor as yourself. Love your your husbands. Listen, choose to love your wives as Christ loved the church. So God is commanding us to love. He commands it from us. And and we need to know that before we get married, I, I understand that there is an emotion to it, but really it's a command, not an emotion. And, and I just, I'm convinced that single people, when they get married, they're just not ready to fulfill the promises that they made. They overcommit and underdeliver. Just because you say you do doesn't mean you can. I do, but can you? That's the question. I mean, the most important, and, and listen, all the single people, the most important thing on your wedding day is your past. And I know in Christianity, we, we, we say different, like, look, God loves you regardless of your past. That's awesome. And he does. And your past doesn't matter. But I will tell you, on your wedding day, the most important thing is, what does your track record look like? What does the person that you're about to marry, what does their track record look like? Can they commit to what they're saying they could commit to you in? Here's a question. Can you commit to what you're telling that person you're going to commit to them. And, I mean, someone might say, look, pastor, you don't know what you're talking about. That's crazy. Look, we've been in love for 10 months, and what you're saying, it doesn't matter. I'm a changed man, or I'm a changed woman. Oh, oh, really? Okay, so you're telling me 10 months of love with this person has changed 10 years of you being an idiot. Okay, so and and that's where we're deceived, right? We're like, yeah, no, no, but I'm in love. We're in love. Yeah, a lot of people were, but they didn't have what it took to keep the commitment that they made. I mean, think about this. Think about walking into a bank and trying to get a loan. You're wearing a $2,000 suit. You're driving a rented Lamborghini. You, you got your dad's borrowed Rolex. And you go up to the loan officer and say, look, I'm, I'm here. I need to get a loan today. The first thing that that loan officer is going to ask you is he's going to say, cool, look. Let's go ahead and run a credit check. No, 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 no. But, but you don't understand. Yeah, did, did you see my Rolex? You see the suit? Did you see the car I just drove in? He's like, well, that's cool. If everything's good then a credit check won't matter. Why? Because they're not interested in how you look. They're not interested in what you say. They're interested in your past. How have you lived up until this moment? See, before a bank loans you money, they want to see are you trustworthy? They want to see are you dependable? Have you actually taken money and paid it back? Like, are you going to do what you say you're going to? I don't care what you're wearing. I don't care what you're driving. I don't care what you look like or what you say. The thing that matters to a bank is what you have done. So why is it that we put more value on money than on marriage? See, we'll marry someone that couldn't get a loan for $20. Some of you are in relationships with people right now that are morally bankrupt. Bank won't loan them anything, and you're about to commit the rest of your life to them. And here's the challenge. Because you love them or have an emotion of love, you will go about defending all of their actions that prove why they're not ready for marriage. you got to stop it. Because you're going to spend the rest of your life in that marriage with someone that wasn't ready. And you yourself may not be ready yourself. So how do we fix it? Look, I'm going to give you a few things. First one is you got to commit to a process, not a person. I'm going to commit to a process, 
not a person. So maybe if you find yourself in that situation that I just described, look, it's time to break up with that guy or the girl and just focus on you. Focus on yourself. Allow preparation to be your process, not that person. Well, I found the right person. Now I'm going to get ready for marriage. No, 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 no. Just let the process be, God, I need you to fix me. God, I want to focus on me. Because marriage is not about two broken people coming together and trying to make a whole. Marriage is about two whole people who have been healed, restored, that God is their focus, coming together and making one life together. Proverbs 14.8 says, The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of foolish is deception. So look, prudent, the Hebrew there is a person who thinks ahead. Someone who thinks ahead ways. That's the behaviors, the pattern. That's the habits or the trends. So a prudent man pays attention to their ways. Pays attention to the person's ways. Look, not their commitment and not their promises. You cannot promise your way past commitment. A fool, look, a fool thinks, well, regardless of their bad habits from the past, they'll get it all together. They'll fix themselves. Love is enough. And I need you to know this morning that's simply not true. Love is not enough. I know it's hard to hear it, but I'm telling you, out of the, 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 the masses of people that I've counseled and been a part of restoring marriages, the reason those marriages get restored is because they still had to go back and work on themselves. They say, I thought love was enough. No, baby, it takes preparation. It takes a process. And even then, it still takes all of God being in the middle of all of this marriage. That's a good place right there to... And I know sometimes we get blinded and, and we think, look, I'm going to help this person change. God sent me here to help them. And, and, and you can think this two girls, look, if I don't help them, who will? Can I tell you, God don't need you to missionary date. God don't need you to take one for the team. Like I'm just, I'll take one for the team. He is fine. Come on, somebody. Like, I, I just got, I'll take it. No, no, you don't want to take one for the team. That's what coaches are for. That's what pastors are for. That's what mentors are for. God can handle them all by himself. Proverbs 14, 50 says, 15 says, The simple believe anything, but the prudent give thought to their steps. So prudent people look to your past. Foolish people look at promises. And the best indicator of where someone's been or where someone is headed is where they've been. So look at their past. Ask them, hey, tell me about your past. Tell me about, like, like look, we're going to do this thing together. Well, how many know I would rather know up front than in the back end? Like when you say I do, it's like, well, don't you think you could have told me that before we got married? Come on, somebody. Like, like, like I thought we were stepping into something, being open and honest. And so we've got to make sure that we're asking the tough questions now, before we commit to marriage, let's just make a commitment, and even if we are married. I mean, no, we just need to make a commitment to focus on developing ourselves and letting God help us be the person that we need to be. Amen? Second thing is we got to deal with your issues. So all of us have issues. Like, some of you think, well, I ain't got no issues. That's your issue. <laughs> That's your issue. We got counseling for you, too. I got you. Just, so, I mean, because you can think, well, I'm good. No, no, you're messed up. We're all messed up. Why? Because we live in a fallen world. 
There were no perfect parents. There's no perfect families. There's no perfect childhood. You may have had a healthier childhood, but you still have challenges and hurts and habits and hang-ups. And what we've got to do is before we build intimacy in our lives with other people, we've got to become healthy and a whole person ourselves. Otherwise, every relationship that you have, you will put the burden of health and wholeness on the person you're dating or married to. You'll try to get them to fill the void that's in your life. And you can't do that. Look, they'll never be able to resolve your unresolved childhood issues. That's God's place. That's your hard work. That's, remember, we talked about preparation as hard work. And then, look, once you are married, it's hard work to make sure that our marriage is healthy. This is part of making sure that we're healthy. It's important that you deal with your issues. It's important that you don't allow them to plague the relationships that you're going to go into. Look, as an adult, it's interesting when you study out uh, just relational health, one of the things that you'll find is that any kind of drama, any kind of disharmony, any kind of communication issues that you had with your parents that are unresolved, you bring that into your relationship and your marriage. So think about this. I mean, if growing up as a child, um, let's just say that your parents were critical of you. And because of their critical nature and the way they treated you, it just caused you to be a little bit insecure. If that insecurity is not resolved from your childhood, you'll bring that into the marriage with the person you're married to. If your parents were gone and worked all the time and absent in your life, if, if that caused you to feel rejected, if you, don't feel, if you don't deal with the rejection of your childhood, your spouse will do things that will trigger rejection in your life now. And then if you're not careful, six months down the road, what once was your parents' issue, now you bring it to your marriage and you say, that's your problem. You made me feel insecure. You make me feel rejected. You make me feel like I'm not good enough. And the truth is, nobody can make you feel anything. Right? How many have ever had someone do something to you, and it's like, well, I'm, you're not going to make me feel insecure, baby. I'm secure. You know, you guys like, but then you bring that into the marriage, and now it's someone that's close. And because you had those problems with mom and dad that are unresolved, now your spouse. And now here's the challenge. Here's how the enemy will cause unresolved issues to plague you and to split you. Is now you can't be around them because of the way they make you feel because you have unresolved pain. And so it's not your spouse. It's the fact that we didn't deal with it. And it's the fact that we never allowed God to heal us from it. And, and look, I want you to know if you're married right now and you're thinking, man, that's touching on a core pastor, there's nothing wrong with you. We all have it. Look, I started counseling about four years ago. Didn't really want to start counseling. My wife started. She's like, we're messed up. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, we're all messed up. And she's, I said, well, you go to counseling. You need it. <laughs> no, just <laughs> kind of sort of joking. And about six months later, I just realized, you know what, I need counseling. I think everybody needs to have a good therapist. I'm just telling you, the days of the stigma of counseling and therapy, like that's just, that's a lie from hell. You need someone to help you see what you can't see. And it's not your spouse because you're hearing it from them all the time anyway. You're already mad at them, blaming everything. Come on, it's your fault anyway. And the counselor's like, no, no, baby, this, this is you. Let's just deal with you. 
And that's the beauty of it. You've got to find someone that can help you deal with the issues in a safe place so that it doesn't plague your relationship. There's nothing wrong with you. What is wrong is if you don't get that healed as a single person or if you don't resolve it as a married person. What a tragedy to live your whole life thinking that your spouse is the problem. How many know that's a, that's a lie from the enemy? So we got to deal with our issues. The third thing is you got to break your bad habits. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I think this is self-explanatory. Marriage wasn't designed to solve your problems. Listen, single people, listen to me. Marriage will never solve your problems. Marriage doesn't change you. You know what it does? It doesn't fix you. It simply amplifies the way it finds you. So if you're good, listen, you're going to get better. But if you're bad, if you're messed up, I just want you to know it's going to get worse. Oh, yeah, but Pastor, look, I'm not going to have a porn problem because I'm going to get married. Oh, baby, that's going to work for about six months. And then the first time your wife says no, how many know what you thought was going to fix your addiction because now you have availability and access that's supposed to be unrestricted. I'm telling you, baby, your wife is going to have a headache a couple of nights in your marriage. Come on, somebody. She's going to be tired. Come on. Whether, whether she, and this is the challenge. See, you think, well, I thought that that would break and fix my addiction. Maybe whatever it is. Oh, it's going to fix it. No, it's not going to fix it. Maybe you've got a drinking problem. Oh, but I don't need to drink because she's, she's my drink. She's all I need. Yeah, this will work. About the first year. And then you're going to get in a fight. And what you're going to do is you thought it fixed you, but now you're going to go back. Now you're even more mad. You're more frustrated because the thing you thought would be the solution has now actually brought in more problems. And so you go back to drinking. I mean, think about gambling. I mean, you go into anything that you thought would fix you. Money problems. Listen, single ladies, you might say, well, my husband will do the money. Well, what if he doesn't? Like, you still have to learn how to budget a checkbook. All my financial planners can say, yeah, pasta. You still got to learn the 10-10-80 rule. Like, you got to tithe. You need to put 10% in savings and then spend the other 80%. Like, you still got to learn those things. Just because you, didn't, you get married doesn't mean you're going to fix what's broken in your life automatically. So I would say this. You got to work on identifying and fixing the bad habits in your life. I mean, how many would love to marry someone that could stand before you and say, look, I used to have some really bad habits, but I've been working on them. Why? Because you're so important to me. You're so valuable to me. I wanted to get myself right. I didn't want to bring any of that baggage into the... How many would say that, that whoo, blue eyes, come on, song, it'd be all good. Like, that's the man right there. And so that's what we want to do. We want to work on ourselves before marriage. And look, if you're in that place right now as a spouse... Just continue to commit to work on whatever is plaguing you, whatever bad habits you have. It's not too late until you're dead. Come on, somebody, as long as you've got breath in your lungs, as long as you've got energy in your body, we're going to commit to make our lives better so that our marriages can be healthy. Here's the fourth thing. Either do it or don't do it. Come on, somebody. Like, <laughs> y'all seemed a little confused. <laughs> Like, uh, uh, uh. let's do it or don't. I'm going to preach either way. Come on, somebody. I got this. Hey, here's, here's the one I want to spend just a few minutes on, and uh, it's to commit to stay sexually pure until marriage. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality. And I love, I, I left it up on the scripture on the, on the screen. 
surrendering of sexual purity. That's really what it means. Could you say flee from sin? Look, I'm not going to surrender my sexual purity. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Now, I know I touched on a little bit last week, but I really felt like I wanted to share a little bit more this morning uh, just to bring some clarity. I think I'm going to share something that's going to set some of you free this morning. I really believe that. Uh, First thing we got to know is that God created sex. And uh, it's beautiful in the proper expression. It increases true intimacy and true love. I mean, it's an amazing thing when it's experienced in the context that God designed for it to be experienced, which is marriage. Um, So somebody say, okay, let's talk about sex. Can you have sex when you're dating? Um, Is it okay to have sex with someone that you really love? I mean, like I really love them, Pastor, like we're we're there. The, The answer would be no. It's not okay to have sex with someone that you're dating. Uh, Then my other question that I have people, especially young people, ask is, well, then how far is too far? Right? I mean, we all want to get close to the sin line. Like, like how far can I go, Pastor? Like, come on, Pastor, tell me how far I can go. And the truth is, I'm not going to answer that right now. To, to, To get to the answer of that, first, I need you to understand that really the Bible only has two categories of relationships that are acknowledged In the Bible, and when you understand this, then we're going to go back and answer the question of how far is too far. The the first relationship category in the Bible is brothers and sisters in Christ. So when we're in this environment right here, if you're not my spouse, we are considered by God brothers and sisters. Look at Romans 12.10. Love each other like brothers and sisters. Give each other more honor than you want for yourselves. Everybody with me? That's why we get brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so. Some churches just use that as a greeting, but the truth is it's the context of you're my brother, you're my sister. Hey, we're in this life together. We're part of the same family. You know, we love God together, but that's our relationship status is that we're brothers and sisters. Now, the second category of relationship is husband and wife. It's married. Like, we're married. And look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2. But because sexual sin is... A danger, each man should have his own wife. Everybody say one wife. Come on, somebody. Just just one wife. And each woman should have her own husband. So this is what we see. Paul is addressing, you know, marriage and singleness. And he's like, look, I, I know that it's hard to stay pure. And so each person, if they choose so, should have a husband and a wife, but just one. So the status here would be married. So either we're brothers and sisters or we're married. Now, marriage is great because when you're married, you get certain privileges. Do I need to spell that out to anybody? I mean, all the married people said amen. I mean, you know, that's the best thing about a fight. Come on, somebody. But it, you'll get it in a second. Somebody like, oh, I get it. When it comes to certain responsibilities, we get the privileges and responsibilities. But with marriage, you get one but you also have to take the other. Like, if I'm going to get the privileges, I mean, i got to have the responsibilities of being a husband. There's responsibility with it. Now, our culture created this third category, which really hasn't even been around that long, and it's we're dating. We're dating. Now, it's interesting because when you look at this category, dating brings privileges that are greater than a friendship. Like, when you say, I'm dating, you automatically, because of culture, say, look, I'm going to get some benefits 
from this relationship. So what we see is you want the marital access without the covenant and without the responsibility. That's really what dating is all about. And the problem with that is that the Bible doesn't recognize this third category of relationships as a status. You're either married or you're brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, that's it. That dating wasn't even recognized. And so what we see now is that in America, dating has become a modern-day phenomenon. Really, if you've ever studied this out, it actually really began in the early 1920s, uh, really the turn of the century. Uh, dating was really uncovered, and, and it was an expression of how they would go into courtship. But really, back then, uh, marriages were prearranged. And there was this courtship process, but courtship was really private and unemotional. Well, what do you mean, Pastor? A woman would have two or three men that would come in and say, I'm interested in marrying this woman, this, this, your daughter, this woman. And so the woman would come in and she'd interview all the guys. And much of what the interview process was not about the color of your eyes, went about how, how sweet you could talk. It was about your money status and your social status. Like, is this guy going to be able to provide for us? Does he have good qualities and characteristics? And the woman would say, okay, out of these three, I like them the best. And then dating or courting back then would be that woman would spend more time with that guy at their home with their parents. Now, awkward. Come on, somebody. I mean, imagine trying something on that girl with her parents sitting across the room saying, what's up? And then if they weren't at home with their parents, they would actually be in a social gathering that was outside and public. They would never be alone. There wasn't this dating someone for love. It was a courtship process. And so what they understood was dating in the early 1920s had a purpose. It was leading to a marriage, and it was always safe and supervised. It wasn't unsupervised to try to get benefits from someone that I wasn't ready to have a covenant with. And so when you understand the context of that, now let's go back and let's ask the question, how far is too far? Let me ask you this. What would you do with your brother or sister? You just messed it all up, Pastor. Well, that's why you got to get married. Right? That's, that's why you go from brother and sister to courtship into marriage. We don't spend this extended time dating. Like, that's why I don't believe in people dating. I've told my kids, you know, I, I don't know how we're going to do it because my son is older now. He's 13. You know, you're never going to date. Well, I don't know. I can't make him. I can restrict his time with people. But I've tried to tell him this. Why would you open your heart to someone at 14 when the intent is not marriage? What we're doing, in essence, when we open our hearts up to people, whether you're 14 or 24, is you are practicing divorce. It's like I'm going to open up my heart. I'm going to expose myself. I'm going to give the best side of me. I'm going to trust you and love you and assume that you have my best interest in mind. And the truth is they don't because they're immature. They don't understand godly biblical dating with the purpose of marriage. And so now you walk into after many breakups or divorces from people you dated. Now you're skeptical of the person God really has for you to marry and spend the rest of your life with. And you spend years 
trying to uncover and heal and, and like, God, I need you to heal me from the past pain and rejection and, and being cheated on and lied to and all those things when God never intended for that to be the case in your life. So brothers and sisters, what would you do? Look, and, and someone say, well, look, it's like we're married. And look, I get it all the time. Look, we're no judgment zone if you're here and you're not married, nobody's judging you. Nobody even cares. It's between you and God. I think for me, my reality is, look, people ask all the time, look, it's like we're married. No, it's like you're not. <laughs> now, how did that get confusing? Oh, yeah, no, I mean, we're, no, 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 no. You either have a covenant or you don't have a covenant. Like, it's either God's way or it's not God's way. I mean, otherwise, why don't we just go, why, why are we living for God? Like, I'm not talking to a bunch of heathens out there. I'm not talking to the world. I'm talking to Christians that will justify them living together and saying, well, look, it's like we love. Look, if he can't control himself before you're married, how I many know he ain't going to control himself after you're married? If you can't do what God's asking you to do before the marriage, listen, the odds are it's not going to happen afterwards. And, and so I would say this, you got to avoid living together altogether. And if you do the research, it's a terrible idea. I don't know who came up with this idea, like we're going to test drive this and see if it's going to work. Look, I don't know about you, but think about it. I'm going to test drive what's already difficult with someone I don't have a covenant with, and I'm going to see if it works without the commitment. Why? Because if it don't work, we're just going to move out. That is a terrible idea. Did you know that people that live together have a 50% higher divorce rate than average already? Like, like, that is crazy, according to a study in UCLA. And, and here's another thing, that they're more likely to commit adultery. People live together. And then couples who have lived with two or three other people before that person have almost a 0% success rate in their first marriage. How in the world is living together a great idea to test drive marriage? Don't do it. Some people say, look, we're married in God's eyes. Nope. Unless you went to the, hey, if you won't be like that, go to the JP, baby. Well, we're just going to wait. No, no, you're afraid of commitment. Let's just be honest. Let's call it what it is. But look, if you're going to get married and call it marriage in God's eyes, go to the JP. I mean, just go sign the paperwork. That way, at least you're doing it God's way. There's no excuses. Someone said, look, we ain't, we, we're not living together. We just have sleepovers. <laughs> All right, you're not seven years old. Like, we don't need sleepovers. Like, that's just dumb. Well, they're just going to sleep on the couch. Why would you let a raging bull sleep on your couch? Oh, that's a great idea. Oh, it's just a little bit too late. No, no, that's just stupid. Let your pastor say that is stupid. No, don't do it. And I know, <laughs> look, I know I'm kind of killing all these things. And so, but <laughs> when you think about it, it's a terrible idea. Why? Because the goal is to be sexually pure. The goal is to have this thing last for a lifetime. And I want to give you a challenge. I recognize, look, some of you are in here and you've been sexually active in your relationships. Maybe a lot of you. You're not married to that person. I want to give you a one-year challenge. And maybe you're not dating anybody now, but when you talk about dating, sex is usually synonymous with dating. Whoever you date, you just have sex with. I'm going to give you a challenge. Why don't you take the one-year challenge? And just say one year from now, you mark the X on your calendar. You say, for the next 12 months, look, I'm going to make a, de a decision, a quality decision, 
to break up with whoever I'm, I'm sleeping with or to not date and just make sure that I date God for 12 months. So what do you mean, Pastor? Come to church 52 weeks out of the year. Get involved in a small group. In fact, Freedom would be a great small group for you to get involved with, which launches next month. And it closes the door on the past. It helps you walk through deliverance. And the beauty of it is at the very end, you get the option to receive the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And then look, go into next steps. And then start serving on the dream team. Yeah, but you know, so you're saying don't date. That's exactly what I'm saying. Don't date. Don't allow someone to pull you away from what God's doing. And take that year to renew your mind. Take that year to allow your heart to be healed. Take that year to cleanse your soul and just say, for 12 months, I'm going to let God do his work in my life. Somebody said, well, why do you got to cleanse your soul? Well, I'm glad you asked. When you enter into a sexual relationship, you create a soul tie. Soul tie. Now, this is something, look, at, we got a lot of people that are new to church. You maybe have never heard of this. A soul tie is an attachment at the deepest level of who we are. It's, it's an attachment in your soul to a person that you've been intimate with. And so a soul tie is like a spiritual cord that connects two people together. Now, the Bible doesn't actually use the word soul tie. They actually use the word join together, unite. Look, Matthew 19, 6 says, So they're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined. Everybody say joined. So what God has joined together. Let no man separate. Genesis 2, 24. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united. Everybody say united. To his wife, and they'll become one flesh. And so God's design for marriage was for two individuals to become one. Now, I want to illustrate this real quick. George, come on out here real quick. I, I thought this would be a great, I'm, I'm a visual kind of person. And so when you think about a soul tie and you think about people coming together, it's a little bit difficult for most people to get it. Just stand right there for me, Joel, uh, George. Everybody say, what's up, George? Then he's going to do a great job. We're, we're, we're going to illustrate what a soul tie looks like. See, men and women, before you're married, uh, you're separate individuals. And at the point of marriage, you make a commitment. Look, we're going to come together. We're going to unite. Hold on one second. You're going to unite yourselves. Yeah, go ahead. So here's the marriage. Here's the man. He's going to be poured into this relationship. He's going to give everything he's got. And he's decided, look, I'm going to come together. Now, the oil, so this is water. If you're wondering, if you're a science buff, this is water. And he's going to go ahead and pour the oil in there. Now, how many think that that's a pretty good representation of husbands and wives? So all the women, you already know what's going to happen. The guys are like, what's going to happen? Like, what's, the oil's going to separate. Uh, <laughs> uh, oil is less dense than water. And so, look, you're, you're in the same place. You're in the same environment. Everything looks good. Uh, you're under the same roof. You're about to be. And look, at the beginning, it's like, man, that's awesome. But what happens is because uh, you, you find that oil is less dense, it actually rises to the top. They separate. I think that's a great picture of men and women. You know, women and men, I mean, no, they think totally different. They respond totally different. They rationalize totally different. They act. I mean, have you ever heard men are from Mars, women are from Venus? I mean, that is just the truth. It's totally, totally different. And here's what I think is so interesting about God is God knew that. Yet he said that she would be his helpmate. Well, God, how do you make them my helpmate? Like, like we are so totally different. And uh, what you know in oil and water, if you're going to combine them, you actually have to have an emulsifier. 
Now, an emulsifier will pull things together that are actually naturally pulled apart. So here we have some detergent, if you're wondering what I'm using. We got some, some, some detergent. Go ahead, put it in there. It's what you'll see now, two things that were never compatible. Have you ever heard the word irreconcilable differences? I kind of laugh at that because it's true. I mean, you're just, they just will never come together except for the emulsifier, which is what we call a bonding agent, which means it takes something that's totally opposite from the other thing, and it binds them together. Are you with me? So look at this. So this is what God intended for intimacy to do in the life of a husband and a wife. Two totally opposite things. Two things that would never normally be put together. Respond differently, think differently, act differently, and basically live differently. God says this intimate act of sex will be the bonding agent that will cause you to stay in this relationship forever. Because look at this. Once it's joined, it'll never be separated. Think about this. In the context of marriage... That's amazing. You can't leave me. You need me, girl. And if you try to leave me, you're going to be playing our love songs. All the smells that remind her, she'll be like, that smells like, I'm mad, but I just, where's Jim? Where's Jim? All the sounds. I mean, why? Because we have been bonded together through God's plan, which was intimacy. So in the marriage, this is awesome. That's why you have to understand the devil has a plan. But in dating, this is terrible. Because you done left them. You done found out that joker was a yahoo. He was a poser. All he did was use you or abuse you or maybe vice versa. The guy that she just, she used you for what you could give her. And, and so you realize that now you done left. Hand me that book. I wouldn't plan on doing this. So you done left. You picked up your toys and you're leaving. But the problem is he has a part of you too. And so even when you leave, you're still connected. And so that's how come. Go ahead, George. Come on, give George a hand. Thank you. That's how come it could be years down the road. Maybe you hadn't dated anybody. And then all of a sudden that song plays and your heart, you're like, you find yourself in your soul, which is your mind, your will, and emotions. Oh, you're saved, and here's the challenge. Look, this is what you have to understand. You can be saved. You can have committed your life to Christ, surrendered your life to Christ, and still have a soul tie that keeps you bound. Because when you're saved, it's your spirit that God brings back to life. Your soul has not been dealt with at the moment. That's the difference between justification and sanctification. Justification, just a little theology, is the moment you get saved, you pray the prayer, God touches your life. That moment, you're 100% like God. Your spirit man, which is who you are. The problem is you have a soul, which is a mind, will, and emotion. And that's why, though you're justified, you may not be fully sanctified. Which means I'm not fulfilled all the things God's asking me to do. And how many know that is a process? That's why it never stops until you cross over into eternity. We will always struggle and have hurts and habits and hangups and things that we deal with. But the truth is, I got to know that I'm fighting from a clear position with no bondage that's trying to pull me back. (laughs) 
And someone that you thought was a soulmate has now become your soul tie. And that ungodly soul tie is an assignment against your destiny. And if you don't break it off, you can be in a marriage. You probably hadn't thought about that person maybe for years. You thought it was over. Now you got in a fight. Who are you thinking about now? It's that ungodly soul tie that's never been broken off. And so you got to break it off. Otherwise, it'll torment your mind, your will, your emotion. You thought something was wrong with you. No, you made a mistake, but you never severed the soul tie that you have in your life. And I just want to talk just briefly about how to do it. Some of you are sitting here right now. Your delight bulb just went off. It's like I wondered why I struggle and I wrestle and things. And, and this, is, this is why. It's the soul tie. How do you sever it? First thing is you got to have a relationship with God. God is the source of what you need to break this soul tie. And if you don't have one with God, look, I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a few minutes. I'll lead you in a prayer of surrender and believe it's going to begin the greatest journey of your life. But the second thing is once you have a relationship with God is then you've got to repent and renounce. So repentance, you know what repentance is. It's I'm going to turn away from the direction I was going. So some of you, you may be sexually active right now, uh, whatever it is. Maybe you never told God you're sorry for the way that you used to live before God. You repent. That means I was going this way, but God, I repent. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'm changing my life. But not only do we repent and just turn away from what we were doing, now we got to renounce. Everybody say renounce. That means I've got to verbally say some things that will cut off that tie that has held me bound. And I've actually put a prayer that you'll be able to pray. It's actually in your worship guide, in your service, uh, in your message notes. They'll put it up on the screen. If you, if you want it when you leave and you didn't get message notes, just get them when you leave. But you would say something like this. Father, I renounce this soul tie with, don't put your spouse's name in there. <laughs> and break this alliance. I renounce the spirit of lust and cancel the legal right of Satan to operate in my life this way. And so, look, what you would do, you say that as many times as you need to say it. And you need to put every person that you are tied to relationally because of intimacy in there. You need to verbally renounce every person you've had sex with. And each one of them, you say, and then here's the other deal. Listen, you got to get rid of the mementos. Get rid of the pictures. Get rid of the books and the love notes and the letters and the shirt. Maybe you're holding on to an old shirt that he gave you or somebody gave you. You got to get rid of them. Delete that song out of your playlist. You got to allow those things to go so that God can heal you. The third thing is this. You ask God to release you from the soul tie and that he would restore you. God's the God of restoration. And, and I believe it. Listen, that's why I'm telling you to take 12 months off. Not because I don't believe in the, you know, that you, you can't change instantly. It takes 12 months to break this stuff off. God, take 12 months just to restore my life. God, bring back to me my first love, which is you. God, help me to go back to the purity that I once knew in my life. Someone says, well, do I need to tell the other person that I released them, that I broke the soul tile off? No, you know, when you release a boat from the, the harbor, all you got to do is untie it from either the boat or the pier. I mean, you don't have to go and say, I cut you off. You were my soul tie. No more, devil. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. It just, I was... no, just, just keep moving. Just, just keep moving and, and, and ask God just to restore you. And then I do want to encourage you, go to Freedom Small Group. Starts next month. Man, we, it's an amazing 12-week process to help you walk through healing. Close the door on yesterday and, uh, 
It also includes a weekend conference. Um, so that's an amazing thing. I love the fact that it's, a, it's an experience Friday, Saturday, that people come together and, and pray with you. And it's, it's really the culmination of the 12 weeks of study on freedom. Now, I want, to hear, I want you to hear me this morning uh, real clearly because I've, I've said some things pretty strong. You know, if you're in this place right now and you find yourself in this situation, maybe, maybe you're sitting by the person, so it's kind of awkward. Um, I want you to know this. God loves you. We love you. I want to be your pastor. I think you're in the right place at the right time. I'm not here to judge you. Nobody's here to judge you. We just want everybody to be healed. We want everybody to experience God's best in their life. And so what I want to encourage you to is don't allow the enemy to cause you to push people away that could actually bring healing and help and hope in your life. Because that's what he'll do, right? You'll feel like, blah, 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 blah. And you walk out of here. and No, no, no. If we hear anything today, it's this. God loves relationships and God loves you. And so I want to encourage you just to allow God to touch you right where you're at. And I love what 1 John 1, 9 says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That God, I'm going to repent. God, I'm going to ask you to forgive me. God, I, I'm, and, and we all make mistakes. So There's nothing new. God, would you forgive? Would you change me? And the God of heaven will invade this place and invade your heart. He'll change you. And I just want to pray over each and every one of us and I'm going to, in a second, invite you, if you want to pray that prayer of surrender and begin a relationship with God, I'm going to invite you in just a second to pray that prayer with me. But I want to pray just corporately over each and every person that God would continue his work in your life. Father, we thank you for what you're doing. God, we ask you to move supernaturally in the hearts and the lives of every person that's here. Lord, I just love this series. I love this topic. I, I felt it when I talked about soul ties and the demonstration. I saw the light bulb go off in people. They felt like they'd been failures. They felt like there was something wrong with them. And the truth is, there was just a bondage that was still attached to their life. But God, I thank you that right now in this moment, you break every soul tie, every bondage, everything that has held them back, everything that has plagued their hearts and their minds. And God, I pray that in this moment, married, single, dating, doesn't matter, we corporately surrender our relationships to you. That every one of us, we can get better. Every one of us, we can seek you more. And God, I'm asking you for the grace, which is the power and the desire to do just that. We thank you for that. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. There's some of you here, you're ready to begin a relationship with God. Doesn't matter where you've been, it doesn't matter what you've done. I need you to know that Jesus loves you. He died on a cross. He rose again so that you might be saved. That in this moment, no matter what your past looks like, He loved you. When the moment He was on the cross, He knew you would be where you're at here today. And the invitation's extended to you. If you're ready to call out to Jesus, if you're ready to surrender your life to Him, you're ready to confess that you're a sinner, that you're in need of a Savior, I just want to lead us in a prayer. And Before I do it, I always invite you to just raise your hand, just as an act of surrender. Nobody's even looking around. Nobody's checking you out. It's just you and God, just act of surrender. Just If that's you, I want to be included in this prayer. Just raise your hand. Just raise it up high. I see. Yes, yes. 
God's doing a work right now. You can put your hands down. God, I thank you for the work that you're doing in their lives. Say this with me. Say, Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. I believe you died on the cross just for me. I believe, God, you raised him from the dead. And right now, I'm asking you to forgive me. Wash away my sins. Make me brand new right now in Jesus' name. Come on, and everybody said amen. Come on, worship God this morning.